This is Outside In. I'm producer Taylor Quimby. And I'm executive producer Erica Janik. Sam is currently at home with his new baby. Uh, Not that that is going to prevent (laughs) him from actually hosting this episode, as you'll discover in a few minutes. So listeners probably know that Sam is a big cross-country skier. He coaches the local high school team, and he once won Argentina's biggest national race. And as an incredibly talented endurance athlete, uh, the rest of us schlubs on staff sometimes poke fun at him (laughs) in kind of that jealous way that people will. Absolutely. But during the Winter Olympics, for a brief moment, the whole country pays attention to the sport. And every four years, it seems like somebody always has to take a shot at cross country. So there was this, uh, you said it was New York Times Magazine? Yes. Yeah, New York Times Magazine article that called Cross Country a brutally sustained non-thrill and the least watchable of the major Olympic sports. That is so not true. It's not nice. No. <laughs> that too. <laughs> Even public radio threw some cross country shade. Cross country skiing is not really a spectator sport either. No. <laughs> it's very hard for it to be covered. I mean, it's boring as hell to look at. And they go by. Yeah. Uh, so... That's comedian Paula Poundstone on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, who, after this comment, went even further and actually made fun of the U.S. ski team. The U.S. women were, like, way back. They were texting each other. They weren't <laughs> They weren't really even trying. They just gave it up for the, yeah. It's a, we don't seem to take now, it. Now, Sam, who I must say is a wonderful ambassador for the sport, wrote a wonderful article for Slate defending cross-country skiing. I suggest you all read it, and we'll put up a link. But the real moment of redemption for the sport came during the actual games in Pyeongchang. It was the team sprint for the women's team. So close for the U.S. on so many occasions. Now moving up on the inside in the second place. They're all completely gassed. They've given it everything on the global pocket. And it was Jesse. Jesse Diggins. There's just this weird moment where she's like sort of behind and she's doing this like shuffle thing majiggy. And then all of a sudden it's neck and neck. Yes. And there's two commentators. One of them is like holding it together and the other one is losing his mind. That actually I enjoyed almost as much as the race. Sweden. Jesse Diggins to the line. Yes. And it is Jesse Diggins delivering a landmark moment that will be etched in U.S. Olympic history. The first ever cross-country gold medal for the U.S. Oh. (laughs) That's so great. You know, I'm not a big sports fan, but I was, like, getting misty just watching this. Yeah, Paula Poundstone, even she had to admit her mistake when Jesse Diggins was invited on to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me after that win. So, Jesse, you'll, you'll be glad to know that I got, you know, I got a rasher from people uh, <laughs> complaining that, you know, what did I know and how stupid I was. And I got to tell you, our fan base may be small, but wow, they're feisty. Oh, yeah. they are. No, yeah. they, they, were, they were feisty. A lot of them wanted bad things to happen to me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Um, so here we are at this rare moment when athletes like Jesse Diggins, uh, who don't see a lot of media coverage the rest of the time, are being celebrated by the whole country. But what about the athletes that didn't make it to Pyeongchang? What about the people who trained for years only to find out that they didn't make the cut? Today on Outside In, Sam tells us the story of a cross-country skier that worked so hard through so many obstacles, only to find that a combination of bad luck and a muddy selection process left her watching the Olympics from the couch. 
Sam managed to squeak this story in just before he left for paternity leave. Oh, so Sam. It's the endurance athlete in him. I know. So we'll let him take it from here. Jenny Bender grew up in Vermont in a family that was not into cross country. For her first race in seventh grade, she showed up dressed for a cold day of sitting on chairlifts. I remember being at the start line in, in alpine like gear, like snow pants and a big old turtleneck and like way overdressed uh, next to my fellow competitors on the East Coast that grew up with Nordic skier parents and they've been in racing in spandex since they were four, you know, and it's embarrassing, but it's also um, fun to, <laughs> to look back on because you got to start somewhere. But she was good. From 14 years old, she was part of the development pipeline for Olympic skiers. She qualified for junior national championships and then junior world championships. She got a scholarship to ski at the University of Vermont. This was when I met Jenny. I was racing in the Eastern Collegiate Circuit at the same time, but Jenny raced fast enough to be an NCAA All-American. After college, she felt like she could compete on a larger stage. So she started looking around for an elite development team that would help her get there and landed at one in Minneapolis. It was a really strong team. I mean, there were times at nationals when we, we swept the podium and there's a lot to be learned there, you know, in both, in both sprint and distance. In 2012, Jenny finished third in two races at U.S. National Championships. She was a powerhouse. In a sport where results are often inconsistent because of differences in technique or course profiles or wax performance, Jenny was top 10 in almost every race she entered that season. She was performing at or near the same level as the women who are now on the U.S. ski team. But then came that summer. The skier is created in the summer. In the winter, you're really just maintaining your fitness. Jenny was at a training camp with her teammates in northern Wisconsin, roller skiing, lifting weights, and running in the woods. And so I was always the one, like, many times the only one on our team that just sprayed myself with DEET. I was like, I don't care if I get DEET poisoning. I don't want a tick on me. But sure enough, despite all the bug spray, the last week of training camp, Jenny was feeling off. She was struggling to do her workouts. And... I was trying to do these like L3 really easy intervals with um, this group of women. And I, I could not do these like easy running intervals. And I was like, oh, then this is bad. Like what, what is going on? Uh, this is not good. She went to a clinic and got tested and was told she had Lyme disease. And I burst out crying and I was like, oh, are you kidding? How is that even possible? I like, I, I check ticks all the time. Recovery can take a long time, but that wasn't all. An hour later that day, I got a call back from the clinic, and they said, um, Jenny, actually, you also have mono. <laughs> and I was just like, I, 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 was, I was overwhelmed. I was given antibiotics and you know, told to go home and rest. And as any athlete knows, or any parent of an athlete knows, that resting is like prison. (laughs) It's like the worst. You're like, no, especially mid-season. Like, I was feeling really good and really fit. And I couldn't even really go for a walk. 
I would get I'd go to the end of the driveway and I would turn around and walk back and just feel drained. I remember sitting in the living room in the dark during the day and just being like I like I felt like I was melting into the couch. This was where Jenny's story and those of her teammates diverge. And we'll tell you the rest of that story after the break. This is Outside In. I'm producer Taylor Quimby. I'm Erica Janik, executive producer. Before the break, Sam was telling us the story of cross-country skier Jenny Bender, who, while working her way up the weird structure of high-level athletic competition, found herself down and out with Lyme disease and mono. Oh, the worst. A quick explanation here. The fastest racers in the United States, the U.S. ski team, spend their whole winter over in Europe racing the World Cup. The domestic racing circuit, where Jenny had been consistently at the top, is kind of like the training grounds for those European races. Up until this point, Jenny was right on track. The women from the Minneapolis team she joined on the podium at national championships. One was Caitlin Gregg, who would go on to win a bronze in the 2015 World Championships. And the other was Jesse Diggins. Jesse Diggins to the line! And it is Jesse Diggins delivering a landmark moment! Sam picks up Jenny's story from here. Remember, skiers are created in the summer, and Jenny had spent the summer of 2013 melting into the couch and stress baking. She did manage to start training again in the fall, but when January rolled around, her fitness was only so-so. But still, she showed up at U.S. National Championships, the big stage for skiers who haven't qualified to go ski the World Cup in Europe. I remember making it into the A-final and just being like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I am so exhausted. And then I, the course fit my strengths, and I was raced very tactically. And I came in, and I out-sprinted a few girls at the end, and I won my first national sprint championship. And I bawled afterwards. And um, it wasn't even being happy about the victory as much as just being like, I'm, I just was able to do that after all that I just went through. And uh, I'm, like, I'm like tearing up thinking back on that feeling. Um, that result really saved me in a lot of ways. Ups and downs would become the theme of Jenny's career. In 2013, she threw out her back, herniated a disc. And I remember actually having to sit on the ground to get my roller skis on because I couldn't bend over to put them on because <laughs> my back hurt so much. Which, <laughs> looking back at that, probably not the smartest. Even so, that year she qualified to go to Europe for the World Cups that came after Sochi. Her chance to prove herself with the best in the world and race with the U.S. team. But... A lot of them came back from Sochi with a really bad sickness. Kind of <laughs> the Sochi flu... And then I got sick a couple days later, (laughs) Um, and that was that trip. So I (laughs) over the next few years, Jenny was racing very hot and cold. She wasn't having fun anymore. She was so wound up about her results that she was making mistakes, crashing. Really, universe? What? Why? 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 (laughs) Whenever she made it to the international scene, she wasn't having the results that she wanted. Really, an athlete will tell you, like you know, the the cliche of it's about the journey not the destination (laughs) which is very true and it gets to a point when you're in it so deep you're like no I want that damn destination I've been in this journey for so long I I deserve that destination (laughs) and that's once that happens it's this 
It doesn't help. I won't, I'll say it doesn't help. Last year, Jenny was finally starting to feel like her old self again. She was once again winning or landing in the top 10 of almost every race she entered. She won a sprint at U.S. Nationals and was now ranked the best sprinter in the country for the fourth year in a row. But the U.S. team is currently loaded with good sprinters. And the rules were changed so that to earn a spot on the World Cup, a domestic racer has to do well in longer races, too. So once again, Jenny was passed over. So as I was in Bozeman uh, last February at a time when I was like... I was kind of bummed. I was trying to find my happy again. She decided to go play a game of pickup hockey. Have some fun. And one thing turned to another. I had a hockey stick in my hand. We were playing kind of some really casual, you know, the nets are knocked down. Of course, no one's wearing a helmet. And someone just decides to slap shot the, the puck down the ice. And it clocked me in the side of the head. And I went down and it was like, <laughs> everyone was like, oh, shit. Jenny got five staples in her head and a serious concussion. But even so, racers have to race. Every so often, Canada gets to host a World Cup. And when they do, the U.S. gets extra start spots. And Jenny was on track to qualify for one. She asked if she could skip the final domestic qualifier, but was told, no dice. And she knew that getting that start in Canada would help her to get back over to the European World Cups and maybe to Pyeongchang. So she lined up at the start. And I remember very vividly being like, I might have said it out loud. Like, I don't care if I get brain damage. I have to do this. She barely did well enough to keep her spot. But says during the World Cup races, she felt like she was just floating along. I feel like the kid in elementary school and the outfield of a baseball game picking dandelions like mid-game. Like, <laughs> like just like, do-do-do. Like, if this was a huge event. I should feel something. I should I should have been... I was either sad or, or, or angry or happy or, or something. And I was like, I feel nothing. Jenny stopped to reevaluate. The Olympic team for Pyeongchang would be selected in less than a year, and her prospects weren't looking good. The first measuring stick the U.S. team uses is World Cup results. But if you're not on the U.S. ski team, it's hard to get the World Cup starts you need to make it. Criteria number two is coach's discretion. For this story, I spoke to a half-dozen cross-country skiers who were on the bubble for Pyeongchang. And dissatisfaction with the lack of transparency and how those decisions on discretion were made was the uniting theme in those conversations. So Jenny says she asked the coaches how they would use it. It's hard because it's kind of my word against theirs. I've had various conversations with the coaches, and I was just like, what do I need to do? And they're like, well, like, no, nah, we're really just looking for standout performances. We, we don't, you know... We want to, we're not going to just bring people to bring people. Jenny was thinking only four athletes can start at each race in the Olympics, and the U.S. team already has at least five women who are capable of being in the top 30 in the world on any given day. And she seriously doubted that she could be faster than them. So why would they bring a domestic sprinter? They don't even need any alternates. That's people's way of saying there's kind of no chance, but you cannot technically say that, that they're not going to take anybody from the sprint list for females. They just don't need it. It doesn't make sense. Jenny decided she had no chance at Pyeongchang in cross-country, and she decided to switch sports. As many cross-country skiers do, she switched to biathlon. 
That's skiing and shooting. Because I was like, I really want to make this Olympic goal. The biathlon criteria is clear. They have trials. There's some spots that are like not clearly filled for the Olympics. And like, who knows? I don't know what I, you know, maybe maybe I can pull this off. I don't know. Considering that the common wisdom is that it takes three years to learn how to shoot, Jenny did pretty well. She qualified for some lower level competitions in Europe, but not the World Cup and not the Olympics. I, I learned now like, wow, biathlon is really hard. <laughs> like, uh, like, damn. And it was while she was over in Europe doing biathlon races that she heard the news. The Olympic team had been announced, and one of the skiers was the current leader of the domestic sprint rankings, a slot that Jenny had been holding consistently for the last four years and was told would not be good enough to get her to Pyeongchang. And I, I, I broke. I broke mentally. I broke physically. I was like, how, how is this possible? I, like, everything said that they said, everything said that this, like, this was probably not going not gonna to happen. And I was just like, I felt, I felt kind of deceived and, and lied to. And I felt, I, I, I bawled. I broke down. I, 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 you know, sometimes there's certain things that make you um, turn inside out. <laughs> you know, it can be a, it can be a, you know, heartbreaking time for some athletes. Um, they've put a lot into it, and, and uh, you know I've had this as a as a long-standing goal. Oftentimes, um, and when they don't they don't make it, it can you know definitely be a challenge. The coaches who selected this year's Olympic squad weren't willing to be interviewed, but Luke Bodensteiner is a step above them. Uh, yeah, my name's Luke Bodensteiner, and I'm the chief of sport for the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Team. He called me from Pyeongchang. This can get pretty technical pretty quick, but the ski team says they got more spots for Olympic skiers than they anticipated. 20 racers instead of 18. Since only four men and four women can start each race, they certainly didn't need all of these spots. But if they aren't filled, they're allocated back to other nations, which is against U.S. Olympic Committee policy. And that gives us an opportunity to enter more, um, more athletes in the Olympics than, than we have before. So to fill these two surprise extra spots, they decided to just go down their ranking list and take the next skiers. And because the next skier happened to be a sprinter... They used discretion to overrule their stated position of only bringing five sprinters. Jenny's decision to switch to biathlon was a rational one, based on all the information she had at hand. But because discretion means that coaches can change their minds at the last minute, that rational decision now looks like the wrong one. Suddenly, this life goal that I've had, I see it as something that I could have had, that I was right there and the finish line was moved on me. And it's hard because I, I know it looks, I, I don't want to sound like the bitter athlete that didn't make it. Like that's, I'm trying to speak up so that this doesn't happen to people in the future. To be clear, we're talking about spots for alternates. They're the athletes who go over, march in opening ceremonies, hang out for a few days in case someone gets sick or injured, and then go home. If you're the U.S. ski team worried about winning Olympic medals, the stakes here feel pretty low. But when you've devoted your entire life to an obscure sport, hoping that in one of those moments every four years that the world turns its attention to what you do, you'll get to be on that stage, it feels pretty important. And it feels pretty personal. 
Outside In was produced this week by Sam Evans-Brown, with help from me, Taylor Quimby, Hannah McCarthy, Justine Paradise, and Jimmy Gutierrez. Erica Janik is our executive producer. Additional editing from the folks at WBUR's Only a Game, where this story first aired. I know that Sam talked to a lot of people in the Nordic community, or Nordies, as he says they call themselves. <laughs> I'll take his word on that. Nordies. Uh, so special thanks to everybody that helped Sam report this story out. Music in this episode by Blue Dot Sessions and Poddington Bear. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. Music